1: Welcome, everyone.
2: This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I am Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Today, I'm here with guest Cliff Mintz. Cliff, welcome to the program. Hi, Bruce. So why don't we start with just a little bit of information on your background, you know, professionally, and then we can talk a little bit about how you got into the cannabis space and then talk a little bit about what you're doing in the space now. And we can hear a little bit about the blog and some of the other things you're doing. So Cliff, tell us a little bit about um, professionally. Where did you come from and how did you get into cannabis?
3: I have a PhD in microbiology and started my career as a medical school professor and um, uh, found my way into writing and what I like to call scientific journalism. I've been a professional medical slash science writer for the last 15 years. Prior to that, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry and um, have a strong background in, in regulatory approval of prescription drugs. And generally, as a medical writer and science writer, stayed abreast of uh, current things happening in prescription medicine as well as scientific discovery. I found my way into the cannabis mainly because as a former pharmaceutical research scientist, I saw value in the medicinal properties of cannabis and started to think a little bit about traditional pharmaceutical drug discovery, and back in the old days, circa 1950s through the 1990s, many new prescription drug discoveries emanated from natural products research on the plants found all around the world, even including hot springs uh, in Yellowstone Park, as well as deep thermal sea vents. And as a microbiologist who has a, a background in medical microbiology Most people now understand that antibiotics came from fungi and plants, and cannabis has always been a plant that has enormous medicinal properties that, for some reason that I really cannot explain, have never been really thoroughly investigated by scientific or research-based discovery efforts. And I started going back into the scientific literature and noticed that, much like many of the claims that have been attributed to cannabis anecdotally or through urban myth, there is a enormous scientific literature that most American scientists don't know much about that describes that many of the anecdotal properties attributed to the
2: medicinal use of cannabis actually are true. Mm-hmm. So there's there is in fact scientific basis, uh, or at least early scientific basis, for a lot of the claims that people are making. And inevitably. and,
3: and yeah. much to my surprise, there's a lot of very modern research that's been done on cannabis that Americans simply do not know about. Hmm. So I I started looking at cannabis strictly from a scientific perspective and came to the conclusion that there is really no difference. Between cannabis and other plants that have medicinal value because of the compounds that can be extracted from the plant. And as much as I hate to bring this plant into the discussion, if we look at poppies, which Mm -hmm. are the source of of opioids, which have spawned a multi billion dollar business as well as a multi billion dollar problem in the United States today, poppies sort of represent a good example of what plants have to offer. And hopefully by looking at cannabis in, in a very different way than the pharmaceutical industry looked at and exploited opioids, I believe that there can be a lot of very positive medicinal benefits unlocked by looking at cannabis as a, a source of prescription-based drugs that will benefit many people with Chronic illnesses as well as short-term solutions
2: for people who suffer from acute problems. I'm curious to just give us a sense of how I guess this typically works and normally works because I think that's what I'm fascinated by is that there are processes in place inside the pharmaceutical industry for you know finding compounds inside natural plants researching them, figuring out how to test them in various ways, looking at methods of interaction. Like, How does this normally happen for the pharmaceutical industry in terms of developing developing drugs from plant-based products?
3: So sadly, like everything else in life and business cycles, the pharmaceutical industry goes through cycles. So up until the late 1990s, every pharmaceutical company had a natural products division. And that's because, as I previously mentioned, most drugs came from natural products, mold, fungi, plants, mushrooms, you name it. And with the advent of uh, sequencing of the human genome, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, people in the pharmaceutical industry erroneously thought that we could dispense with natural products discovery in favor of strictly molecular-based approaches to drug discovery. That said, the way things work is that you, you identify a disease process or a condition, say for example cancer. And you typically in the old days, microbiologists would scour the planet, come back with fungi or plants, and because of uh, information suggesting from a variety of sources, whether it be anecdotal or mm-hmm. uh, scientifically based basic research that, that these natural sources had some compounds in them that would be useful to treat certain conditions. The best modern example that I could give you is a drug named Taxol, which is sold under a a number of different brand names to treat breast cancer and other types of cancer. So there was a tree in certain parts of the world, I think in Africa and Asia, that had compounds that looked like they may be useful to treat certain types of cancer, or at least cancer in general, there was Taxol is the generic name of the molecule from this, this plant tree, I forget the name of it, mm-hmm. this plant source or tree, I forget the name of it, that scientists looked at. They went in and got some of these trees, extracted taxol from the trees based on it inhibits uh, cell division uh, or some other process that's out of whack in cancer. Mm-hmm. They they tested it in the laboratory. They said, wow, this looks good. They then advanced it into animals and said, well, from a, from a safety standpoint, it looks like it's safe enough to be tested in humans. Then they moved it to the next stage, which is human clinical trials, finding people with breast cancer or other types of cancer and actually gave the compound in a uh, metered dose to these patients. And they ran clinical trials. And lo and behold, based on a phase three clinical trial, which is the final trial that is used by the FDA and other regulatory agencies, determined that based on the results of this phase three trial, that is patients with breast cancer, patients who got taxol uh, fared better than patients that got standard chemotherapy doses. Mm-hmm. And lo- based on on those data, the FDA divine that this product was safe enough and effective enough for it to be approved as a prescription drug that oncologists can use to treat patients with certain types of breast cancer
2: and uh, other types of cancer So there, so there's this pro- so this process is in place so this is a, a standard way of doing things in the pharmaceutical industry
3: This process was divined uh, way back in the 1930s or maybe earlier, and has been refined over the last 80 years or so to meet modern standards of drug safety and efficacy. Yes. So it's been in place. It's a tried and true process. This is what every pharmaceutical and biotechnology company knows is the pathway that they must follow Mm -hmm. to get new drugs approved and then placed on the formularies of
2: various institutions, hospitals, Insurance companies, etc., to be used by patients. Yes. And so, why? So, so now, if we start, if we look at cannabis, why has cannabis not followed this path, or why have they not been able to do this with this so, with compounds in cannabis?
3: So, the best thing that I could tell you from my position mm-hmm. as a pharmaceutical drug observer is, is that I think the benefits of this plant have been obscured by the political and sociological mm-hmm. aspects of cannabis
2: itself yeah, so, yeah that's, that's true. It. That, yeah.
3: There, there's based scientifically there is absolutely no reason why cannabis should not have been treated as a source of potential medicines as compared with any other plant for example the opioid epidemic is yeah. destroying this country. I mean, I would argue from a scientific standpoint that opioids have been known for the last hundred years to not be the best substances to put into human bodies because of the awareness that they were always potentially addictive drugs. Mm-hmm. That said, they are the opioids that are in use today are very, very effective to treat acute surgical pain and some other types of pain mm-hmm. that patients exhibit during certain conditions. Like yeah. I said, the best possible drug for post-surgical pain. Yeah, Possibly a good drug for breakout cancer pain, you know, patients that are mm-hmm. in the terminal stages of, of cancer. There is no better drug out there than opioids to treat these conditions yeah so that said cannabis on the other hand has been around as long or longer than opioids Mm -hmm. and because of the political and again whatever the gestalt of the current cannabis (laughs) whatever is just was hands-off yeah and it's been a conundrum to me as a scientist to really wrap my there's no basically there's no scientific or pharmaceutical discovery process to prevent exploration of cannabis as a source of prescription drugs.
2: So so let's talk about the plant a little bit because I think that um, understanding what cannabis really offers or how even it's kind of structured will give uh, – I think will give us a better sense of – why we have some of the complications or or where are we in terms of understanding things. So give us an overview of the the cannabis plant from a sort of pharmacological point of view. Like how does the cannabis plant fit in terms of sources of of drugs? What do we know about how the plant is structured from a chemical point of view? And where are the opportunities that people have initially sort of seen?
3: So uh, this, this, that's a great question. And I'm going to try and answer it as succinctly and cogently <laughs> as possible, because we're covering a lot of ground. Yeah. But essentially, there is a system in the human body known as the endocannabinoid System, okay. and this is based on the discovery that there are receptors found throughout the central nervous system, as well as other parts of the body. Most notably in the inflammatory, inflammation and and uh, immunological spaces, where there are these two types of receptors. They're known as cannabinoid receptor one and cannabinoid receptor two. Okay, there are natural cannabinoid molecules that are found in the body that bind to CB1 and CB2. So these are known as endocannabinoids. And these molecules come into play primarily during neuropathic or neurological pathways that are activated, as well as inflammation and immunological pathways become activated. So the, the bottom line is, is that the human body has cannabinoid-like molecules and receptors that play a role in mediating pain and as well as inflammation in the body. Now, when we look at the cannabis plant itself, cannabis produces things known as phytocannabinoids, which are molecules produced by the plant okay. that bind to both CB1 and CB2 receptors. Okay. Okay, So that means that if we ingest cannabis, there are certain molecules that are found in the plant itself or in the smoke from the plant that will bind to these two receptors. Mm -hmm. Obviously, THC, which is the predominant phytocannabinoid found in cannabis, binds to CB1 receptors that results in the euphoric or psychoactive effects that many people that smoke or smoker or do whatever else they do yeah. uh, when you know, ingesting it through the lungs uh-huh. it will that's the effect you find now if we look at the phytocannabinoids that are found in cannabis itself there are over 100 phytocannabinoids that scientists yeah. have detected using pharmacological methods and assays that may be useful to treat
2: various and sundry uh -hmm. uh, conditions that are experienced by people so so so. there's let's just kind of summarize a little bit so far so so thc is one of the phytocannabinoids and there's but that's one of a hundred that exists within the plant and and we have two receptors that do all of these all these hundreds bind with both of these receptors That's a great question of whether all of the
3: phytocannabinoids bind to both or either or. And the answer is some bind to CB1, some bind to CB2, and some bind to neither, the receptors. Mm -hmm. So the ones the cannabinoids like THC that bind to TH1 receptors that provide the euphoric or psychoactive effects there are other ones that bind predominantly to CB1 and those are thought to be the ones that may play a role in the neurological aspects of cannabis molecules mm-hmm. that said one of the issues that i think that has interfered with the exploration of THC and others is obviously that people who smoke cannabis get
2: high. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's a the psychological effect.
3: Right. And so from a from a prescription drug effect, you don't want people to get high when they take yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. that's always been an issue. But some of them like CBD, which is another cannabinoid which has gotten a lot of press, CBD, which is found in cannabis sativa as well as hemp. Mm -hmm. plants cbd is a seems to be a very pharmacologically active cannabinoid which doesn't really bind to the cb1 receptor and has modest binding properties to cb2 the cb2 receptors Mm -hmm. cbd seems to mediate a lot of very positive pharmacological effects and interestingly enough it's we're doing this this uh interview or podcast a day after FDA approved a product called Epidiolex or Epidiolex by a company called CW Pharma. And this is the first time in history that the FDA has approved a cannabis-derived pharmaceutical. Epidiolex is made exclusively from that molecule or cannabinoid called CBD, This product that received approval yesterday has been approved for the treatment of trial uh, childhood epilepsy conditions such as Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. So this is a a historical event that I think will usher in the likelihood that other cannabis derived products, i.e. made from extracts or molecules found in extracts of a plant, will be also approved for other conditions.
2: So this product is literally derived from the cannabis plant, processed right. and put into drug form yes. and prescribed by now how does and to the extent that you can can speak to this in detail, that you know that would be great. But so so right now we've got this federally illegal, states state specific legality for prescribing basically cannabis-based products, either, you know, of various forms, uh, vaporization and tinctures and edibles. And so as a physician right now, inside of a state that's medically legal, I can prescribe these cannabis-based products. This is now a product that is federally legal, that is derived from the cannabis plant, focused on the CBD, the CBD molecule.
3: Yes. So that that is absolutely right. So we have to be careful when we parse our words. Yeah. So Because the other products that you may have mentioned uh, in state to state variability right now, because of this is a complicated question, but I'm going to try and make it (laughs) simple. All right. Cannabis is illegal at the federal level. But it is now, as you well know and your listeners well know, in 30 or so states, it's approved for medicinal use. And I think in eight or nine now, it's uh, approved for adult use recreational purposes. Mm -hmm. Now, the states are able to do this by basically saying that the federal government has made it illegal. But that doesn't mean that we as states have to follow the federal law because we have a constitution and we believe that there is value in this plan, even though the powers of B have not been convinced that it is. So if you go to a state where medical marijuana is legal, physicians can give you a card or a recommendation letter suggesting that a patient will benefit from the effects of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Now, all of the products you mentioned, tinctures, edibles, capsules, patches, these are products that have not undergone the process that we discussed Correct. for prescription drugs at the the federal level that has been in place for for 70 or years plus or something. Uh-huh. What that means is, is that because the states have opted out of that federally mandated process, there are no safety or efficacy claims that can be made by any of the products that are being sold either in plant-based products or extracts or pills or patches from the plant which essentially means that as a physician in those states you're going to give a patient a card because you yourself believe not because any federal agency or there's consensus amongst your peers that this works on a a prayer and a song, you're going to say, I believe that this patient will benefit. So this patient gets a card and is now able to legally purchase either bud or products Mm -hmm. that have no history of being assessed for safety or efficacy to treat their medical conditions. Now, this is different than what happened yesterday. So, I don't know the specifics of the mm-hmm. approval, but based on what I do know from previous examples, that the product Epidiolex is now federally approved, which necessarily means that this product needs to get a, a waiver from the DEA to yep. suggest that this product is no longer um classified schedule as schedule 1 yeah a schedule 1 drug it's now been either declassified to 2 or 3 uh-huh. so that this product now can be distributed nationally and written as a prescription drug by physicians without fear of running afoul of yeah. the schedule 1 so there have been other products that have been approved that are cannabinoid-like, but those two or three, two other products were synthetic uh, THC-based drugs that, so because they Mm -hmm. were not extracted directly from the plant, Yeah, there was a kind of a loophole that says, well, this isn't a plant-based thing. This is a chemically modified derivative of THC. But we understand that even though it's chemically modified, it does run afoul of the DEA, Schedule 1 status. So like what they're probably going to do for Epidiolex, they deschedule the previous synthetic THCs to a different schedule level Mm. or classification. But unlike this product, which is – completely naturally derived from a, from CBD, which is a natural substance from cannabis. Uh-huh. This These synthetically derived molecules of THC, patients really didn't like, mm. and it didn't sit well with patients because they couldn't eliminate the psychoactive component of the effects of the, the yeah. synthetic molecules, and in many cases, because they modified it, the the psychoactive effects yeah. were actually enhanced rather than yeah. removed. Yeah. So patients didn't like. It. So huh. as somebody as somebody who way back in the day ate cannabis mm-hmm. products, you know, it's a very different experience than if you vaporize it or or inhale it. Yeah. So if you're a patient that is not comfortable feeling yeah. different than you typically feel, even though it may reduce nausea and vomiting or enhance your appetite as a cancer patient or somebody who's suffering from a disease where you no longer want to eat and your nutrition is is, is deficient yeah. may result in your death patients said we don't like this yeah. now with the epidiolex this has been approved for children and, and as I'm sure you're aware there are children that suffer from yeah. multiple seizures on a daily basis and the only relief that these patients can get, these kids can get is by eating or vaporizing or using a patch based, you know, laced with CBD. Mm-hmm. So this this is a, a, even though it's been approved, it's been approved for a small subset yeah. of patients. So just because it's approved for childhood epilepsy, it cannot. Now, there are caveats here. Okay. Right now it's approved for childhood uh, epilepsy treatment. Okay. That said, um, if you're a licensed physician in the United States, Mm -hmm. you are allowed to take any prescription drug that has been approved by FDA and use it as you see fit.
2: Interesting. So
3: that means if you think. that Epidiolex can benefit somebody who suffers from adult epilepsy. You're well within your rights as a physician to prescribe it it for those patients. If you think that CBD will be useful to treat patients with PTSD or or cancer patients, then then you can prescribe it for those patients. So The approval of this product is very historic because what is going to happen is that physicians that have been on the fence about the benefits of CBD, mainly because they were afraid of legal prosecution if they gave out cards, even in states, this is going to open the floodgates for physicians to now go ahead and prescribe Epidiolex for any indication
2: that they believe will be it'll be effective against so or, it's a, it is it's kind of a wedge in this whole issue where so n- the, now that you've got I, an opening I, I view to be this able to as,
3: prescribe as us, the yeah. beginning of the end of the the psychological warfare that has been pl- yeah. uh, waged on cannabis and its products so this is very historic and most people in the cannabis space don't Know this, so Mm -hmm. you could be the first one to break the story (laughs) that some guy with a PhD degree in New Jersey is saying this is a historic event. Now, that's if the federal government doesn't intervene. Yeah. But right now, if the federal government tries to inhibit this so-called what we call in the industry off-label use, there will be lawsuits. That you wouldn't believe coming from the American Civil Liberties Union, from the AMA, yeah. from every medical society, saying, "Wait a minute,
2: you cannot do this." Yeah, yeah, this is a uh, you're you're coming in and and right and trying to the, trying to play a game with so, one particular chemical, so, one particular. So I, I think
3: it's historic in a lot of ways, but I think that if I was a company in the medical space, in the sense of making medical products that have been sold on the market for the last five years, I would be a little bit worried.
2: Yeah. No, it sounds because, like, so- well, so I'm, and I'm curious to see how this plays out. I, so, so tell me a little bit more about what, what your goal is right now inside, uh, the kind of a space. So you're, you're, you're coming out of pharma, uh, sort of pharmaceutical science, looking at the research, medical writing. I know you're, you've got a blog running right now. What what are you trying to do in terms of um, the cannabis space and the pharmaceutical space, and what are your goals?
3: So I do have a blog. It's called the Cannabis Science Blog. It's at www.cannabisscienceblog.com. And going back to what we were talking about before we got onto the um, the approval. Yeah of epidiolex my goal in the cannabis space is to provide consumers and healthcare professionals with as much scientifically based information and medically based information that i can offer in the cannabis space so that that is my goal in a, in a nutshell so there's a lot of anecdotal unsubstantiated scientific claims out there and what i'd like to do is is provide a a focal point for folks who are interested in whether or not cannabis may be right for them in terms of the medical conditions that they suffer from or chronically or acutely that that may benefit them. So as long as there is scientific evidence to suggest that cannabis can be used to treat PTSD or chronic pain or other indications like cancer, then I want people to be able to Go to that information and look at it for themselves and determine whether or not cannabis may be right for them. Yeah, and that's pretty much my goal. And, and also, as an aside, to also look at some scientifically based or technologically based concepts for cannabis that may or may not be true. For example, you know, is this delivery device really the device mm-hmm. for you? Is will it deliver the the best medical impact for you is is this patch that's being sold now on the market does that patch really provide any medical benefit or none at all yeah you know just to look at whether technologies delivery technologies growing technologies whether trends like dabbing are, are safe or not from a scientific perspective yeah do you have to worry about the or, the organic molecules that are usually carcinogenic that people use to extract stuff to them, you know, at their homebrew laboratory. So yeah. just basically to to monitor the cannabis industry from a safety and medical benefit perspective, not only from a pharmaceutical perspective, but also from a a lifestyle perspective. Yeah.
2: And certainly as as this space matures and grows and, and becomes um, kind of more, more part of the general culture and the general population, these are going to be the key issues. It's been kind of this niche uh, thing for a long time and figuring out how to make it useful and sustainable for a larger population is key. Um, we're going to hit time here. Cliff, this is really, it's been highly educational. It's been really fascinating. If people want to find out more information about you, about the blog, what's the best way to contact you and. And get that.
3: Go go to my blog www.cannabisscienceblog.com, and you can contact me uh, directly. Or uh, I'm not sure whether or not I should give out my, my email address, but uh, I could I could give out an email address if you want to talk mm-hmm. to me directly and not
2: go to the the, the blog. It's uh, Cliff M Z at yahoo.com great i'll i'll make sure that those links are in the show notes here um cliff this was great i, I there's probably a series of episodes we could do around a couple of these topics and you know we'd love to schedule those in the future but this was uh this is a great kind of initial discussion around sort of the pharmaceutical and the science side of this which is uh fascinating it's really important i think it's just to become more and more of a topic in the cannabis space as we go forward so i appreciate your time
3: Thank you, Bruce. It was a pleasure uh, chatting with you. And hopefully we could do it again.
2: Great.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.